This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is what's happening in your world tonight. Hey, money nerds, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this is The Stacking Benjamin Show. It's a fantastic Friday, and we're about to spice it up even more with a great lineup for you. From the Paychecks and Balances podcast, please help us welcome Rich Jones, and author of the amazing book, Control Your Cash, it's Greg McFarlane. And finally, from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And here he is, the guy you think of when you think retirement, Joe Saul Seahigh. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm sure it doesn't mean that he thinks I should retire. Hey, everybody. I am Joe Saul Seahigh, Average Show Money on Twitter. And welcome to Friday. We've got the equipment out for the road. We take it out and get it ready. We're going to be doing some road stuff soon, and I'm all excited about it. So we're going to have a little bit different microphone here at the beginning, just to make sure that this stuff is ready to go when we need it. It's a little like uh, September 20th, 2013, when I got my new Nike shoes. I hear about Nike shoes, by the way, and I think of uh, the band The Gorillas. Anybody know that song? Great music. But but anyway, on top of all those great people that Doug talked about, we also have Michael Aseri coming down to the basement during the FreshBooks FinTech segment. We're going to introduce you to this thing called Fee Belly. And as you may know, if you've listened to the show before, we don't endorse any of the FinTech products or FinTech people that we have on. We just like showing you there's all this cool new technology and people really taking advantage of it. And Michael Asari and his team over at Feebelly are doing a heck of a job of that. Speaking of a heck of a job, you'll do a heck of a job for yourself when you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money because magnify money is the place where you go when you want to look at over 92% of the things that are available out there, whether it's for your checking account, your savings account, or your debt products. Magnify Money is the number one place. You know, we test drive and we shop for everything, don't we? We shop for new jeans. Well, I don't. I just go pick some out. But you might. You hear these stories about people that will drive down the road looking to save two cents on some gasoline. Not me there either. But if you're going to shop those things, why not shop your financial products you use every day? StackingBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money's the place to go. And the place that Magnify Money calls number one, especially when it comes to student loan refinancing, head to StackingBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. That's S-O-F-I. They're the leader in marketplace lending. Over 225,000 people have refinanced their debt with SoFi. SoFi will help you finance your regular student loans, 
your parent, your plus loans. They funded over $15 billion in loans to date. Listen to this. They've saved members over $1.45 billion. Our friend Dan Macklin at SoFi tells us it only takes a few minutes to find out how you can work with SoFi. So what are you waiting for? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. Don't only handle student debt, by the way, but also personal loans if you're consolidating the credit card debt and also mortgages. And they'll hand over a hundred bucks a Benjamin if you use our link for your personal loan or your student loan. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. Use that hundred bucks toward the interest on the loan, or of course you can send it to your favorite podcaster. We always like that. That'd be a nice tip, wouldn't it? I think it would. I think you should probably do that one. <laughs> All right. We've got a fantastic round table for you. Two of our regulars are back. Greg and Paula are gonna say hi to them, but also a cool special guest, a great friend of ours. So let's get this party started, huh? Let's walk across the room here and fire up my dad's shortwave and get the greatest minds. And we've got two of our three main contributors back and a fantastic mind from the world of podcasting joining us. So with that, let's go out to Las Vegas, Nevada, where the gorgeous Greg McFarland joins us. How are you doing, man? What's, not doing a podcast. I'm the only person on today's podcast who doesn't have a podcast of his own. I know. What are you thinking? You got to get in the game. What would your podcast be about? Man, I can't think of a funny thing. Son <laughs> of a. <laughs> I, sa- I saved all my material for the actual for the actual podcast. And, and, and I thought that was a softball too, and I couldn't think of any for you either. Seventeen but, years on radio, thinking on my feet, <laughs> and then a guy I talk to every week stumps me. Great, great to have you back after two weeks off. Hope it was a great two weeks. You're stretched Apparently out. Should have gone longer. Stretched man. out and ready to go. And across town from Mr. McFarland, uh, two thirds of our podcast comes from Las Vegas, which is funny for a financial show. Paula Pant from Afford Anything joins us. Hey, you know what, Greg? I know, I know what your podcast could be about: the uh, Oakland Raiders moving to Las Vegas and sucking three quarters of a billion off the public teat and giving giving that money to a guy who's already rich. It's so amazing. To build a stadium. I, yeah, which is going to have I eight suspect, dates a year. Given your love for sports and your appreciation for your home in, of Las Vegas and your general opinionated nature, I suspect you would have a lot to say about this. A podcast's worth of material. Yeah, my love for sports is less strong than my love for not getting raked over the coals by a <laughs> by a guy who inherited a football team. Yeah. Mm. And a guy who's wondering how he inherited his spot on this podcast. How's that for a, a clumsy segue? One half of the Paychecks and Balances podcast. It's the one and only Rich Jones joining us. Glad you could make it, man. Yeah, this is awesome. I must say it's a surreal experience. I normally listen and I'm like, I'm laughing and responding and I'm like, oh, now I'm actually live with the people that I'm normally listening to. But I'm looking forward to it. It's surreal for us, Rich, that half of the awesome Paychecks and Balances podcast would actually come on this show. So we're pinching ourselves. So thanks a lot. Happy to be here. (laughs) Well, let's get moving. Let's get into it because we got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to cover nine things from a single article today. This piece uh, comes to us from CheatSheet.com. It's nine lies you've been told about saving for retirement. Now, I didn't even get, Paula. That's probably a spoof on nine lives they're talking about, maybe. Oh, I didn't get that either. I just figured they were going for an odd number because odd numbers are more clickable. Yeah, I don't get that either. But anyway, Megan Elliott wrote this and there's nine of them. And I thought we'd go through these. So it says saving for retirement's no picnic. You have to be disciplined and focused on the future. If you hope to save enough money to see you through your golden years, 
You also need to be able to separate the truths about retirement saving from the lie. So let's see how we've been lied to. And Paula, we'll stick with you. Lie number one, they say, mm-hmm. is you have plenty of time. Is anybody lying about the fact that you can save tomorrow? See, here's the thing. The headline is nine lives you've been told about saving for retirement. I don't think anybody, I, at least I hope, and maybe I just run and maybe I just live in a bubble, but uh, I, at least I hope that nobody actually tells you that you have plenty of time. People assume that because they like to think it, but you know, people tell you what's actually true, which is that the earlier you start saving, the better. Greg, you're a math guy, and uh, obviously the math is pretty clear. Save early and often like it's a Chicago election, right? But wasn't there a time early in your life when you thought, eh, saving, I can do that some other day? Uh, first of all, the important question, are odd numbers really more clickable, or is Paula just yanking our chains? I think that's actually uh, You know, I yeah, I, I heard that at, a, uh, at, at FinCon, at a session at FinCon once. I, I haven't independently verified it. I was told that when I started working in media by the media people, whenever I pitch something to media, it always had to be a three, five, seven, or nine. Good old listicles. That sounds awful, but I promise that's about actual articles. <laughs> right, yeah. So, Greg, plenty of time? I reject the notion, like Paula was saying, that that's a lie. Never in my life have I heard anyone say, yeah, you have plenty of time. Even when I was 18, hell, even when I was 14 and just entering the workforce, I was told to start saving now. Yeah, but Rich, people- I, I, I don't know on, on, on what planet it's conventional wisdom that you have plenty of time. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. I'm like, really? I was never I've always been told start early. But Rich, Paula's right on one account, which is people, even though they're told that they should start, people don't start. Yeah, I can say that I have been in the camp of I can wait, I can wait, I can wait. And I did that all through my 20s. But now in my 30s, as I'm like, OK, there may be family on the, on the horizon. There may be these other things on the horizon I'm like, crap, I really need to play a bit of catch up here. But I've I've never gotten that advice. That would be probably the most irresponsible advice someone could give. <laughs> Retirement, don't worry about it. You got plenty of time. You're young. It's right. the perfect time to get started. Right. It's like, Greg, you got a choice. You can go to the ball game or you can save. You can, you know, like your, your bad friends telling you, uh, don't save money. Go watch the Oakland Raiders play. Yeah, and I think a lot of us come out of the womb with a, uh, with a predilection either to saving or spending. So the only people that the author is really talking to here are ones who spend way too much and need to rein it in. For the most part, if you're the kind of person who listens to a financial podcast, you've, you've probably already cleared that hurdle. Yeah. Paula, did you, did you feel early on, like even in high school, were you a saver? I was, I've naturally always been a saver. That's like my disposition. And I've also been, for some reason, uh, I was the kid the like the child who thought about retirement. Nerd. So I guess I'm a weirdo. I guess these are the type of people, people like me are the ones who like eventually become attracted to blogging and podcasting about finance um, <laughs> for fun. You, you love the tape on your glasses, don't you? Oh, totally. (laughs) Tape on my glasses. And if they're Coke bottle glasses, they're even better. That is so, she's like nerd culture. That's totally me. Yeah, that was definitely the last. That, thing you know, my, my favorite emoji. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the second one of these because uh, uh, these are atrocious. But number two, second lie you've been told apparently, Greg, is that investing your retirement savings is too risky. And there's a lot of people out there saying saving your retirement money in actual investments is risky. When I looked at the first of these nine lies, I thought, okay, maybe she's not going to hit it out of the park with the first one. And then I went to the trouble of looking at her bio. And she has a bachelor's degree in cultural studies from McAllister College and a master's degree in media studies from the New School University. Now, 
who am I to argue with that kind of scholastic heft? But as I learned in economics class at a real school, University of Toronto, but probably could have figured out on my own eventually, saving is investment. You can't, when you defer spending, your money is going to do something. It's up to you to decide what that is. Isn't that funny? There was a study I saw recently, Greg. A bunch of people thought that they weren't saving because they were only putting money in their 401k. Or excuse me. <laughs> They weren't investing because they were only putting money in their 401k and they didn't consider it investing. But even when you decide to put money in a savings account for retirement, you're investing it. You're just doing it in a really crappy way. Yeah, I guess it's a semantic issue for some people. But yeah, any dollar that you're not spending, by definition, you are you're investing maybe in something with a rate of return of zero, but you're still investing it. But yet I read this in here, Rich, in the piece, it says, as a result, some younger savers are risk adverse. They're hesitant to invest their savings, preferring to squirrel away cash, which could hurt their attempts to accumulate dumb money to retire. Only 33% of people between ages 18 and 35 are investing in the stock market. 33% of those people. That just, why do you think people that are young and should be aggressive are so stock market adverse? Because they weren't taught. And I read something else within this article. It said, millennials are scared the financial crisis in the late 2000s was frightening. Young people watched as their parents' retirement income tanked in value and their home equity suddenly vanished. So uh, if nothing else, I was more concerned about my parents' pensions because they're of a different generation and, and the jobs that they had and what they did for work. They didn't talk much to me about a 401k either. They talked to me about retirement and pensions and, and, and social security. And so this piece, it's really assuming that for people who are coming up as part of the millennial generation, that they had the basis or they had the foundation to understand the magnitude of the importance of a 401k in the first place, which just isn't the case. Yeah, 2008, then you're saying still rings really true to them. Yeah, well, 2008 was extremely painful to me, too, because I was working at a staffing agency on a commission basis, and I went right into that as the economy tanked, and I and I felt that very, very hard. And I definitely thought a little bit differently about saving after that because of the risks, the risk that I took. But folks who are coming out of school now, they should be aware. They've heard all of the news. They've seen everything that, that, that that's being said about, you know, 401k investing. It's you, you got to save early. So people are starting to hear that, but it's still not something that's taught and talked about in homes, high schools, elementary schools. It's not even something that's talked about in colleges. So I don't know that it's as much fear as it is lack of knowledge and nobody even pointing folks in that direction to start thinking about these things. But I like I, I got to interrupt. Rich is 100 percent right. The reason young people are risk averse afraid to invest in the stock market. It, it's the same reason why people drive slowly, no matter what, even when they're merging onto a freeway or in the left lane on said freeway, they've had it hammered into their heads. Speed is bad. Running the risk of losing all your money is bad. Don't take chances. Be conservative. Be conservative to the point of absurdity. And like you said, I mean, you've, you've got to be educated. Education doesn't happen in a vacuum. You have to look at what other people are doing and succeeding with and then adopt it as opposed to just pulling the wool over your eyes and saying the stock market is bad. I might lose all my money. Assuming. And, and you know, what's, what's insane. I've, when I'm, I was talking to someone at work about even just booking travel deals and they had this elaborate approach for how they find the best deal. And they're always the person that I went to, to find out where to get the best savings. And I'm like, why do you know all of this? And they're like, Oh, this is what I was taught as a kid growing up. I don't know any other way. Squirrel away monies, but don't invest any of it. No. I mean, that's, I don't, I don't, well, I don't know if they were 
talk that. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Let's take a look at the third lie in this piece, nine lies you've been told about saving for retirement. Paula, it seems the third lie we've been told is Social Security will be enough. And once again, has anyone ever been told that lie? Is is there anybody, not even on this panel, but listening, Paula, that thinks that Social Security is going to be enough? I've never heard anybody say that. Like, I'm just not familiar with somebody. And tweet me if you know somebody who believes otherwise, but I've never heard anybody say, yeah, I'll totally be a baller on Social Security in my 60s. (laughs) I'm living in Vegas. I've taken that Social Security check (laughs) all the way to the wind casino, right? (laughs) What's Interesting. This is one thing that I'm going to take that that to the roulette table and double it. (laughs) Right. This is one thing that I, I maybe didn't think about it when I was nine, but I feel I've like, I've thought more about social security being gone growing up than I did think about 401k, which is interesting. So I've always, I've always had the thought in mind one day social security won't be here because of all of the media hype about it. And I've heard adults talking about that, but when it comes to the 401k side of things, that's something that hadn't really entered my mind as much until I was actually in the workforce. So this feels like the opposite of a, of a lie or myth that I've been told. Yeah, that's interesting. Greg, uh, being a guy who's originally from Canada, what's your social security strategy look like? Uh, this article is getting worse and worse. <laughs> we have social security will be enough followed by you can't count on social security. Those are two. It's impossible that those are two lies that you've been told because they contradict each other. Right. And the argument for the latter being a lie is that the government might be able to pay out 77 cents on the dollar. So don't worry. So my forced savings program might net me a minus 23% return. Count me in. It's at this point that I should mention that some of this uh, author's other articles on cheat sheet include seven new ways to cook dinner with ground beef, five spicy (laughs) recipes that can help you live longer and seven one pan dinners for parents who don't have time to do dishes. So at the very least, she does understand that an odd number results in clicks. (laughs) Oh, wait a second. Six chocolate recipes that can make you smarter. I take it back. She blew it. She absolutely blew it. But you know what though, Greg makes an interesting point and I've had this issue for a while. I try to never knock someone else's hustle, but I've noticed this rise in copywriters who are writing about any topic, but they don't actually have experience in that area. Yeah. Well, and it it feels like that might be a little bit of the case here, but food for fodder nonetheless. That's partly why I picked it because I thought this is so ludicrous, but I do like these topics. Don't get me wrong. I love these topics. I just think she's way from the moon on them, but getting back to the actual topic of social security, I do think social security to some degree will be around. Don't you, Paula? Yes, I agree. It'll be around, but it's not going to be enough that it will, I think be even People sometimes describe it as like one of the legs of your retirement planning stool. I wouldn't even go that far. I wouldn't call it a leg on the stool. I would just call it icing on the cake. Yeah. So I'm really like mixing metaphors here. Yeah. Call it maybe enough money for like gas money, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gas money, beer money. Like you've got your retirement stool that should not consist of social security. And then you've got a cake on top of that with some icing on it and some candles. (laughs) And the social security provides the paycheck that buys as you the candles. You, you, you get what I'm saying. It'll be around, but it's not going to be a lot of money. So don't plan on it and just see it as a bonus. We get to number five here and we finally find a lie that I have actually heard, which is that you're going to need about a million dollars to retire. And uh, Greg, you do once again, back to your math background, you start to do that math. A million dollars is nothing. I never picked a number at random either. No one did. That's another dirty lie. Right. And so much of it is contingent on lifestyle. I mean, somebody like me, I am 
now that I think about it, I'm closer to retirement age than I am to the uh, onset into the working into the workforce. But I also don't have kids, never will have kids, live in a place with a pretty low cost of living. Compare me to somebody who insists on living in Manhattan and raising four children, and they're going to have to save three or four times as much as I am to to lead a comparable lifestyle. Rich, you're in the Bay Area, so you're the opposite of Greg. What's your Painful. number, like $40 bajillion? Yeah, it's insane out here. And I won't derail us too much, but there's also been this article floating around about this family of four that was struggling on 500K in New York City. And we, we talked about it on the podcast yeah. recently, what that life is like in the Bay Area. And it's insanely expensive. But in fairness to the author on this one, this I'm kind of like, you know, at least it's a starting point. You know, it's something to to at least have in mind whether or not it's accurate is going to depend on where you live. And 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 that's something else. I'm thinking about where I'm going to be living. And well, first off, I'm thinking about what my expenses are out here in the Bay Area, where it's insanely expensive versus if I move somewhere else. So even if someone thinks they know what they need today, that may change if they move to a different geography or they take on a new role or yeah. something else changes in their lives. So even that number can fluctuate. Yeah, the difference between where you live and where Greg and Paula are and even where I am in Texarkana, huge difference, night and day. Uh, Man, but- if, if I had Bay Area money in some small, obscure town, I would live like a king. I'm, I'm, I might go live on an island somewhere. Did you just say I live in a small, obscure town? Is that what you're referring to? I mean, I wasn't trying to throw shots or anything like that, but you saying that did remind me. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, glad you couldn't stay. I mean, sorry you couldn't stay. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, Paula, there's a rule in this article that I've never heard before, and I thought I heard them all. It says there's, rather than focusing on an arbitrary figure, same thing Greg talks about, why the hell do people have arbitrary figures, you need to estimate how much you'll actually spend in retirement. And she talks about a rule called the rule of 25. Have you ever heard of this rule of 25? Yeah, totally. I use it all the time. Multiply your current spending by so, 25 to get an idea of the nest egg you're going to need. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're familiar with the 4% withdrawal rate, right? Yes. Like the idea that if yes. you have a million dollars in your portfolio, you can safely withdraw approximately 4% of it per year. So $40,000 per million in your portfolio. The rule of 25 is just the inverse of that. If you want to live ah. on $40,000 per year, multiply it by 25 and you've got a million or you, you need a million. Longtime listeners are groaning because they know I talk about the rule of 72 all the time and also about the 4% withdrawal rate. The second you said it's the 4% withdrawal rate, I should kick myself. So uh, let's move on. How do you factor in lifestyle inflation? Is that something that I I hear it talked about a little bit, but as people move up, they also tend to acquire more things that they think they need, but they really want. So is there a formula for that? Well, lifestyle inflation is totally subjective. It, it's you know up to you how much you decide you want to inflate your lifestyle. But mm. in terms of actual inflation, the 4% withdrawal rate does account for that. So technically that rule of thumb is that in year one of your retirement, you can withdraw 4% of your portfolio. And in year two, you can withdraw that same 4% adjusted for inflation every year thereafter. Mm. There's a lot of discussion that 4% number might be too aggressive. Greg, have you heard anything about that? I'm just glad that I was there on the day that Joe realized that 4% is 125th of 100. Um, Yeah, I I, I do think this, especially with inflation being as low as it's been for the last decade, that you could probably go a little lower than 4%, which in other words means you could probably stretch out the 25 number a little higher. I'm going to go to the last few of these uh, just briefly before we move on. Number six, you can rely on a windfall. Paula, you've been been told that you don't save any money. You're just waiting for a big old windfall to come, aren't you? Who 
says these things? Like, seriously, <laughs> honest, honest God, I, I have... The, the, the one who says Homer Simpson, he tells Marge, <laughs> good news, our troubles are over. I have a feeling we are going to win the lottery. There it is. <laughs> Uh, number seven, you can work for as long as you want. Once again, work for as long as you want, Rich. You're excited about that, aren't you? I don't want to work today. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's not my dream. And especially for the millennial generation, we don't want to work till we're 60 or 65. Uh, a lot of us, we, we talk about entrepreneurship, starting our own thing, getting out of the traditional workforce as soon as possible, living on an island somewhere working four hours a day if that and having a continuous flow of money i don't i don't want to work till i'm 60 or 65 lie number eight here greg you won't live that long in retirement you're a big fan of those uh today show smuckers uh 100 year old people aren't you does paula understand that reference she has no idea what we're talking about <laughs> what, what was the guy's name smuckers. the bald weatherman wilbur Wil, <laughs> wilbur scott uh scott willard scott it is willard scott I am uh, Googling this right now. <laughs> Willard Scott. Willard Herman Scott Jr. is an American weather presenter, author, television personality, actor, clown, comedian, and radio personality, best known for his TV work on The Today Show, and as the creator and original portrayer of Ronald McDonald. That is an insanely, insanely interesting fact. I never knew that. My mind is blown right now. So he's the original creepy guy that got in that costume? <laughs> It got the, uh, so Paula, you're a big fan of his apparently. Uh, given that I just heard about him in the last minute. Sure. <laughs> we should explain to Paula and to other people in her demographic who might be listening that Willard Scott on the today show did a segment that was sponsored by Smuckers in which he would give out birthday wishes to people who were a hundred years old or above. Yeah. And there were more and more of them to the point that it used to be at the start when he started doing it, they would do everybody that came in. And then later I heard they would receive so many people turning 100 that they would pick like, uh, you know, three or four that they could say hi to and uh, and couldn't do it with everybody anymore. Uh, no, well, now most they're of them doing retirement savings. But yeah, they were retired and they hadn't picked up uh, Megan Elliott's helpful advice, actually a lie that they could keep working into their That's 90s right. and beyond. I've actually moved on to her next article, five crockpot stew and soup recipes with five ingredients. You're making Including one of, five ingredients, slow cooker chili with beef and kidney beans. You're making one of those as soon as we're done with this call, aren't you? Iced yellow or white onion, Mexican seasoning. Mm. I don't want to ruin it for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should say spoiler alert before you start giving out the ingredients. Number nine here, you can't afford to save, and uh, you can't afford to waste more time on this article, so we're going to move on. Hey, we got to take a quick break from this awesome discussion with Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances, Paula Pant from Afford Anything, and Mr. Greg McFarlane. To say a big thanks to everybody who has used FreshBooks, you know, you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects or you're prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all at the same time while trying to tackle them out in a paperwork. Well, guess what? Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? Absolutely. But our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so very worth it because the working world's changed and now that we've got the internet solidly in place, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. Work from anywhere, right? To meet that need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of their all-new version of their cloud accounting software. Redesigned from the ground up, custom-built for exactly the way you work, get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, to get paid quickly. Here are three things I really like about the new FreshBooks. First, you can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Second, 
set up online payments with just a couple clicks and get paid up to four days faster. I like that. And if you work for yourself, by the way, that's that's not a little thing. That's a big thing. And third, see when your client's seen the invoice and put an end to the guessing game. Have they seen it? Have they not seen it? What's the deal there? FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our friends. So to claim it, here's what you do. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash FreshBooks. That's stackybedjamins.com forward slash FreshBooks. Enter the words Stacking Benjamins in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And you know what that'll do? That'll keep our sponsor happy. Uh, And if the sponsor ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, But I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be happy when you use FreshBooks. I think I've talked about this quite a bit lately, but the drag and drop nature of FreshBooks is incredible. Like even our logo on invoices, I just pull up the logo, I drag it over the top of the invoice, bam, resize it. Within 10 seconds, I've created this template that is the template that we use when we do our billing. So absolutely, uh, just just stupid easy to use. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash FreshBooks. All right. Uh, one more time for the disclaimer, we do, we do not endorse anyone who comes on the FreshBooks FinTech segment. However, we want to show you all the cool stuff that's out there. Man, do we have a cool one today. What if you were looking at, let's say you're going to rent a car and you know how there's all that fine print? You took a picture of it and you had an app that could point out all the places where there could be hidden fees that you didn't know about. Well, FeeBelly does that. Michael Asari in uh, Chicago is a guy who's addressed this problem. I've never heard of anything like this before. So let's say hello, Michael Asari, coming down to the basement to talk fee belly. And on the line from Chicago, Illinois, on my dead shortwave, Michael Asari, the founder and CEO of FeeBelly, your fine print detective. Glad you could join us, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Tell me what happened. I heard a story. I think you were at the University of Chicago when you decided to create FeeBelly? Correct. We had a project about, you know, I, I took a mobile development class. FeeBelly was one of the projects I was thinking about. But I didn't, I didn't really get it started till I got out and then I pursued it full time. It seems crazy. And I'd never heard of this, which is so why I'm so happy to talk to you. I've never heard of a of an app that will flag contracts. I mean, these contracts, as you know, Michael, are full of mumbo jumbo. How hard was it to create something that would kind of sort out the pieces that might be flags against somebody reading a contract? Yeah, there were two challenges. It was actually, there were two challenges. The first challenge was I had to find the people that write these contracts and the people that write these agreements so they can actually identify the keywords, the hidden fees and hidden terms for me. Now, I went through several lawyers and paralegals before I was able to get somebody that's willing to give me those keywords so I can put in a database. And then I just wrote the algorithm for the front end where it just connects to the database, which has all these keywords that we put together from professionals that give us the hidden fees and terms. So that was the first challenge. The other challenge was actually the coding piece. You know, we're basically, uh, this has never been done before. So it was kind of, we're struggling with the UX part of it, as far as the user interface, but we finally were able to figure it out and, Within three steps, you can 
know what you want to know about hitting these attempts through the app. What was your interest originally? I'm just curious if you had a bad situation with a car lease or a, or a rental that went bad, or or was it just something that you thought of, uh, you know, walking down to the shore of Lake Michigan? No, I ran into a situation with a bank loan. And the person that I, I was doing my loan was a friend. And I thought he was looking out for me as far as the fees and the terms. It turned out that I should have, I didn't thoroughly read a fine print. I thought he would do that for me. And come to find out, I paid more than I should. It was time for me to pay the loan. And at that moment, I decided to think, wow, there's a tool right there that can help me read the fine print and also accurately tell me what the hidden terms are when I'm engaging the loan officer, it'll be great. And that is how FeeBelly came. Gotcha. So walk me through it then, Michael. When I download the FeeBelly app, how does it work? Okay, so so basically there are three steps. You download the app, you have to register. If you're not already registered, so you register with your email, password, you sign in. And then when you sign in, you're given the option, what kind of document do you want to, you know, look for the fitting fees? Is it a, a loan? Is it a mortgage? Is it apartment? Renting? Is it a car lease? So you, you get several options, what you want to look for hidden fees from. So you have a doc, what we call a document type. So you pick, let's say, car lease. You pick a document type with car lease, and within the car lease, there are all these keywords embedded in them. And then, so you name your document, whatever you want it. Let's say my car lease. You pick the document type, name it, and then you just select the keywords you want to look for. Or you can look for all the keywords that we provide you, or you can choose and pick what you want. And once you click done, the app just the algorithm just go through line by line, page by page, looking for matching these keywords with what a database is. What am I doing though, Michael? Am I am I taking a document that was sent to me and then I load it into the into the app, or do I am I taking a picture of it? Like how am I how am I interfacing FeeBelly with the uh, with the document itself? Yes, yes, good question. Um, so you have two choices. If you have less than five page document, I recommend you just take pictures of the document. Wow. And 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 you know we and, and we do have the technology to convert the document into OCR. So that it can be legible, the code can read it. If you have more than five pages, we recommend you download a PDF file of to FeeBelly, and FeeBelly will take care of the rest. I'm sure already, even though it's a very young product, you must have some wild success stories already that people have uh, found surprises that they didn't know about. Yes, I have actually. Um, there's a couple of guys in Singapore that um, I was uh, emailed me about. Some of this apparently these are these are they come to the U.S. for a visit. These are tourists, so they were renting a car and they actually use fee belly, and they were able to find some of these fees that <laughs> you know they were overlooking. So that's one story that I can share with you guys. The other story was there was a gentleman that was going to buy a mattress for his son, and basically he went to the store. And then he told the, the officer, look, I want to look at your, uh, your, you know, your agreement. So he pulled out his, <laughs> he pulled out his, his cell phone, started scanning the document, and the salesperson said, what are you doing? He says, oh, I don't need to read it. I have, a, I have an app that does that for me. 
<laughs> the guy was too overwhelmed, the salesperson. That man, no, what I gotta download this too. You know, so <laughs> these are some of the stuff that is quite interesting. What people are using it for. You know, well, being a guy who is in financial planning for a long time, Michael. I mean, there's there's so many contracts, and nobody ever reads the fine print. Right. And all the ways that companies make money or the way they hold things against you are all buried in that print. Right. And, and just so you know, the idea about FeeBelly is it gives users an advanced knowledge of consent, which is they walk in that store which with an idea about what the hidden fees are. And they can engage the people or the, the seller to look, can you waive this hidden fee for me? Or can we renegotiate the terms? Or I can go check out a competition where they have. So it gives you this tool where you can actually have some sort of control on what you you find in these these, apps. Yeah, I love that. Anything that gives me a little leg up. What does does the app itself cost, Michael? Yes, there are the cost structures three. There's free version. We don't have all the bells and whistles. And then there's a premium version that costs $8.99 a month or $99 a year. So you can subscribe to that, but those have a lot of bells and whistles for you, the premium version. The free, the free version, you can still use it. So there's three cost structures, free, $8.99 a month, or 99 bucks a year. Nice. And what are some of the bells and whistles I get with the premium that I don't get with the free version? Well, well, with the free version, you only, have, you only can take five photos or five pages, or you can download five PDF files. Okay. With a premium, it's unlimited. You can download as many as you want, 200-page document, 300-page document, the app can handle it. You can you also get access to over 400-plus keywords that the industry, these are research keywords that the industry provided us, hidden fees and terms, you get access to that. With a premium, you only get 16. And also, you can store as many scanned documents as you can in FeeBelly. The storage is unlimited for the premium versions. And with a free version, you can only, you only have five scan documents you can store. Gotcha. Yeah. So for somebody who has uh, is looking at contracts fairly often, the premium version's a no-brainer. If somebody right. has a, a one-off, one-time deal, download the free version to start, and then if you need more, mm-hmm. then upgrade later, I would think. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, good stuff. That is, I've never seen anything like it, Michael. I've, (laughs) congratulations on what you've done so far. What's the plans coming up for FeeBelly? Any, any build outs that you're planning? Yes, yes. We we plan on coming with a B2B version. And basically the B2B version is for companies that are very paperwork intensive, like legal, insurance, banking, investments. So basically, it's a desktop version where it basically has to plug in into your browser. And with this B2B version, you can actually type your own keyword, the keyword you're looking for in the contract. And it goes in and looks for it for you. It's fast. It's reliable. You don't have to read. Because basically, I have a lawyer friend, and he tells me that the way they do it right now is when they get a 100-page contract, they split it among the lawyers in the firm. Everybody takes 10 page and they all read it. Right. If they start using FeeBelly, they don't need to read it. You know, they can just have the paralegals do it for them. And basically just goes in looking for the keywords they're looking for. They have to put in the keywords. And FeeBelly goes in and looking for them where, where in the paragraph 
the keyword is so they can just zoom in into it and then just do whatever decision they have to make. So it makes them productive. It's a productive productivity tool for the lawyers and the claim processing, you know, industry. Identifies the hot buttons much, much quicker, I would think. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Good, good stuff. The app is called Feebelly. The site is Feebelly.com. We'll have a link to it on our show notes at StackyBenjamins.com. Michael, sorry. Thanks for hanging out for a few minutes and telling us a little bit about it. That's fascinating. Thank you, Joe. Isn't that cool? It's absolutely amazing to me what technology can do today. And uh, again, if you... Want more information about Fee Belly? We'll just have it in our show notes over at stackybenjamins.com. All right, let's get back to our fun discussion with Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances, Paula Pant from Afford Anything, and the uh, incomparable Greg McFarland from Control Your Cash. Let's go to my favorite thing to do, which we haven't done in a while, so I thought we'd do it. In fact, we're going to do two of these. We're going to do one this week. And you know what? I'm already planning next week. We're going to do one. We're going to do one there. This is the moneyologist column, which is always fun. These uh, quirky letters that are written to the moneyologist at marketwatch.com. I hand out the questions that the moneyologist gets to our participants, but I don't give them the answer because we're not concerned with what the moneyologist says to do. We want to hear what Rich, Greg, and Paula say to do. So here's the question today. Dear moneyologist, I'm in the process of updating my will and have several questions about the best way to update it. I have two children. One's a hard worker, has three children, and is a responsible adult. The other is a struggling actor and hasn't had a steady job in years. Their mother, my ex-wife, recently passed away and left them a healthy inheritance so they'll both be comfortable. I'm uncomfortable with continuing to fund the actor's carefree lifestyle while the money could be going to my grandkids, but I'm conflicted about the resentment this would cause between my two sons as the actor would, quote, need the money more, so I'd appreciate your help. So, Paula, does he, what does he do here? Does he write off the actor? Does he, what does he do? Well, um, it sounds as though he, as he says, he wants the money to go to his grandkids, and from the way that I'm understanding his question, it sounds like, uh, one child has children and so one child has given him grandkids and the other one hasn't. So if he wants that money to go to his grandkids, he could just set up a trust for the grandkids by passing the two sons. Now, that being said, I would recommend, number one, that he have a discussion with both of his sons, probably many discussions with uh, both of the sons explaining this so that it's not a surprise upon his death and so that he can state his position and, you know, just because communication is the key to maintaining relationships. And number two, the premise that the unemployed uh, or the struggling actor has a carefree lifestyle. I don't know if I agree with that premise, but you know, that's, that's not the question. So I will gloss over that for, for the moment. I just wanted to throw that out there. (laughs) But there is a lot of a question there, Rich, isn't there? Is that should he monitor what happens with their money from beyond the grave just because he doesn't care for the guy's lifestyle, even though it's his son? Yeah, this is a a tough one. I mean, I don't think he should monitor. I love the idea of setting up a trust and them having several conversations about this. I I would love to know more about that lifestyle and what that consists of, because if if you know people who are in the arts, sometimes the actors and and the folks who are in the arts, they're, you know, they're bartending, they're uh, waiters, waitresses, and they're actually trying to work pretty hard while also trying to bring that dream to life. And, and I don't want to fault the person for pursuing a dream without knowing if they're actually responsible in other areas or not. Do you think, Greg, that he's got a, any type of moral obligation to split it evenly between his kids? 
Well, I'm starting with the assumption that this is indeed a real letter written by a real guy, which I am always skeptical <laughs> of, especially on Moneyologist. And I think Ryan in Memphis's wife isn't dead. She's hiding. She's hiding from a man who has trouble making easy decisions. I read this letter and I asked my girlfriend about this because she has two kids, but she's lucky because both her kids are deadbeats. She doesn't have to worry about giving too much or too few to one or the other. Here's my response. Dear Ryan, be an adult. Your kids are grown. Who gives a damn who resents what? That is their problem, not yours. And if, if he wants to give the actor half the money out of quote unquote fairness, knowing that he'll squander it, well, that's the price you have to pay for being fair. Or on the other side, if you want to do like the parable of the talents and reward the harder working kid, well, there's certainly justification for that too. But you should only seek advice for truly difficult problems. This is not a difficult one. You're saying I mean, you don't want your last the the last impression or the last memory that your kids have of you or one of your kids has is is them feeling shortchanged and now and now the siblings can't get along. I mean, that's not the greatest last impression. I'll give uh, them the that. You're probably right. In fact, in fact, looking at looking at my own mother and her and my uncle, you probably you're definitely right. The actor kid, though, I think has got to understand on some level that he is maybe not worthy of half of mom's inheritance. If indeed he has been doing nothing more than playing cop number two in community theater over the last decade. <laughs> it's so brutal, man. <laughs> but what's the what's the worthiness factor, though? I mean, are we judging worthiness based on his career? Well, I just think that this Ryan has to ask himself, do I want to split everything down the middle right. or do I want to reward success? And honest to God, there's uh, there's no wrong answer to this. Right. There really there really isn't. I just don't see why if you're seeking somebody's advice just because you need justification for it or what. You're saying he knows what he wants to do already. Just do it and man up. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Paula, it's interesting because I think about your answer to this. You're kind of avoiding the issue altogether by really disinheriting both sons and having it ultimately just, <laughs> just go to the grandkids. So then Ryan gets his cake and eats it too, going back to your icing on the cake kind of analogy. <laughs> well, I mean, he states in the letter that he wants the money to go to his grandkids. And so if that's his objective, then cut out the middleman. Yeah. Give the money to the grandkids. Yeah. And then he can tell both kids, hey, I disinherited you both. Um, and by and the way, it's, it's almost like penalizing the other son for not having for not having given him grandkids. He's like, I don't have grandkids from you. You get nothing. Well, is that let's say that happened to you, Rich. Would that um, uh, make me salty? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd probably be pretty salty about that. Now, whether whether or not I would hold it against my brother, I don't think I would hold it against my brother as much as I would probably be angry at my dad for doing that to me. Yeah. It's an interesting conundrum. I tend to agree with yeah. Greg, though. He knows what he wants to do, doesn't he? He knows what he wants to do. Just do it. Just just do it. By the way, uh, just an estate planning clarification here. If he does what Paula says, if you're going to actually disinherit somebody, you know you have to state that in the will. Because there's plenty of lawsuits that have come up in the past where somebody goes, oh, well, mom, you know, was her dad, Ryan in this case, was kind of whacked out and just forgot me. And so if you don't mention that they're giving, you're giving them nothing, my understanding is, I'm not an attorney, but my understanding is, is that then that makes it easier for that child to win a lawsuit. You have to specifically say, I'm disinheriting my kid. How about, how about that? Or a lot of attorneys have said, give them a dollar. You know, which which I think Rachel would make oh, you. Oh, that's worse. Yeah, that would. I was gonna say that would make you saltier, right? 
extremely. Well, that's a lot of NACL coursing through my blood right now. <laughs> that's, really, that's like a waitress that you give no tip to. They think, hey, it's a foreigner. They just don't understand the custom. A waitress who you give a 1% tip to, hey, hey, they, they know why you did it. Yeah, they know exactly what you're thinking then. Sure. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up today's show, I think. That was, that was so fun. Let's start off with uh, Greg. Tell me. Oh, by the way, we just had David Siegel on from Investopedia, and he said they are seriously excited about you writing some more stuff over there. <laughs> sure they are. Uh, that's, that's very flattering, if true. Not that I don't believe it. But uh, you'll be happy to know that I have... Uh, re-upped the control your cash domain for another year. Awesome. So there's hope. The, the, there's hope. The, yeah, the patient has a heartbeat. Uh, but <laughs> y- you know what? Even if people don't go to that domain, they don't have to go to that domain for any reason except one, which is to buy Lempenzo's favorite book. Yes, Amazon, seven bucks. Absolutely, fantastic. What a bargain, as they say. Uh, pa- Paula, what's happening at the crazily titled Afford Anything podcast? So at the Afford Anything podcast, we have, uh, I recently released an episode featuring Aaron Lowry from Broke Millennial on the topic of raising kids who are entitled. Um, I'm sorry, raising kids who are empowered and not entitled. <laughs> so uh, that's that's on the air and available for download since, uh, since we've been talking about inheritance. Uh, we also have an episode of Ask Paula coming up with the Retirement Answer Man, Roger Whitney. And we also, coming up, and I've been promising this for months, it's actually about to air fairly soon-ish, an interview with a guy who has played, um, he's very experienced with like chess and uh, uh, various like kind of game theory. He's going to talk a little bit about game theory and the way that we apply some of the broader lessons in that to decision making. Wow. So that is all coming up on the Afford Anything podcast. I love, by the way, that Erin Lowry interview. I thought it was interesting talking about when her dad became a millionaire and her becoming a millionaire and the fact that she uh, she, she she figures out inflation. She solves for inflation <laughs> first. I thought that was that was fantastic. Erin Lowry's awesome. We got to get her over here very soon. But uh, we'll link to that in our show notes. Yeah. At Stacky Benjamins. So that, yeah, that, I absolutely loved that. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. You, you guys had a fantastic time together. It just, it, it seemed like you and Aaron were having a party, Paula. She was great to talk to, and and there, you know, there's some certain things she said, like uh, her dad became a millionaire um, at a whatever age, and so she decided that if she could be a millionaire by 35, that would be the equivalent to the <laughs> age that he hit millionaire status if adjusted for inflation. That's like, so that's the type of thing that. I don't have a lot of friends who say that. No. And I really enjoy talking to people who do. Yep. That's what's great about Aaron Lowry. Hey, Rich, thanks a ton for stopping by, man. I We really enjoyed having you on the show today. Yeah. Yeah. This was awesome. And we have a lot of exciting things coming up over at Paychecks and Balances. So this week we're talking about the $500,000 struggle, the story of a family of four struggling off of $500,000 based on an article from Financial Samurai. And then we're also going to be talking about renting versus buying with Kirk Chisholm, who's in the financial fiduciary world. And uh, we also have an episode coming up about back to budgeting basics and the backdoor reference for those on the career side who think that the people who they put on paper as their references are the only people who will be asked about them. Kirk Chisholm is, is also there's another smart guy right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we met him at, at FinCon, kept in touch, had him on, had a great conversation. So looking forward to getting that out into these streets. 
That's awesome. And if you haven't listened to Paychecks and Balances, not only is did you guys have great discussions, but uh, the banner that you and Marcus have, holy cow, I'm out on my run and people are wondering what I'm laughing about as I'm running <laughs> and listening to you going on. That's crazy. Uh, we'll, Got to make money funny. Right. We'll have a link to the show and on our uh, show notes at stackybenjamins.com. All right, guys. Thanks for playing. Thank you. See you later. Thanks, Joe. Oh, that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Hey, guess what? We've got a lot of cool stuff going on next week, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And we're also going to talk about our game and a little bit of news about both of those topics. But first, got to say a big thanks to everyone who's headed to stackybenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. Now, if you've got student loans and you haven't heard of SoFi, you're in the right place because you're listening to today's show. SoFi, though, not only can help you with student loans, but they also do personal loans and mortgages. Here's how it works. You point your browser to stackybenjamins.com forward slash SOFI, and it'll ask you what type help you're looking for. And from that point, fill in a few details about yourself and bada boom, bada bing. Our friend Dan Macklin over at SoFi says in a few seconds, in most cases, you'll know everything about how they can work with you. You can pick different terms in terms of refinancing the student loan. So if you need to stretch those babies out because of cash flow reasons or speed them up and get rid of it all at once, they'll show you all the different options. And there's tons of options. Also, they'll show you the interest rate and you'll be blown away by how much money you can save by saving money on the interest rates on your student loans. Or cut up the credit cards, take out a personal loan and get yourself on track there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. It's so easy to use, by the way. Magnify Money lists their fine print rating as A+, meaning it's all easy to understand and straightforward. You won't need fee belly when, when you go to SoFi. Uh, for your mortgage, student loans, or personal loans, head to stackofbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. They're going to throw in 100 bucks if you use our link for your student loan refinance or your next personal loan. And the place that calls SoFi number one wherever they compete is Magnify Money. You know, it's funny. People just walk into the bank when they move and they say, hey, uh, I just moved to this area. What have you got? And the banker brings out their stuff and you try to pick the best from one bank. What if there were a place where you could pick the best stuff from 92% of all the things that are out there? Well, we've got it. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money is that place. And in a very easy to use format, they'll show you not only the fine print, which we talked about with Fee Belly and about with SoFi, but also who has the best interest rate, what are the minimums, and everything else. Not only laid out simply, but guess what? You can be completely anonymous. It's not one of those sites where you have to create an account, then log in, give them your blood type, uh, tell them your mother's maiden name before <laughs> before you actually get any information. Be completely anonymous until you're ready to go. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. All right. Two things here at the end of the show. First of all, for those of you new to Stacky Benjamins, welcome to the party. Where have you been? We have a game we play on Friday. So G isn't here with me. So I entertain myself by creating a game that you get to play along with. So either in the early part of the show, the first few sentences, or in the title of the show or the show description, I have hidden something. And it might seem a little awkward. Maybe I talk about something that you're thinking, what the heck is that about? Well, match that up with the things that I've talked about in earlier weeks and try to put together a common theme 
I'm looking for that theme. Here's the deal. We accidentally skipped a week because I forgot to tell Steve, our engineer, that we were actually playing a game. So week number two, there isn't one. So last week, the week before that, and the week before that, we played a game. But the week before that, we didn't. And then the week before that, we did. So now you've got a few weeks. We're only a week away from the end of this eight-week run. So you've got one more week to get in your game. And what we do is if you answer the question and you get your answer in within 24 hours of the first person, we put all of those people in a hat, pull out a winner, and that person gets a prize package we prepare specifically for you. And finally, I've been traveling, I've been sick, and I finally got Jeff out his prize package for last time. And uh, Jeff got some cool stuff. We gave him an Echo Dot a board game that I like. Jeff is in the finance industry, so he told me a little bit about himself, and there's this cool game called Stockpile. I gave him a copy of that, and then also uh, a Stacking Benjamins t-shirt so he can advertise for the show. You know, we always send people advertising when they win stuff here. Uh, Wear us around. By the way, uh, blogger J.D. Roth said in a recent post on Facebook, said he wears our t-shirts all the time because they're super comfortable. And they are. They're not only pretty badass, but they're also very, very comfortable. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash shirts if you want to check them out. By the way, speaking of badass, let's talk about next week. Jen Sincero wrote a book called You Are a Badass, and it got some traction, but about eight weeks after it came out, which if you know how the New York Times bestseller list works, this doesn't happen. But about eight weeks after it came out, it became a New York Times bestseller because there was so much traction behind the book. So when I heard that Jen was writing a new book called You're a Badass at Making Money, well, we got to talk badassery with Jen Sincero. And that's going to be Wednesday's show. Then the founders of the muse.com coming down to the basement. You know, the best book about not only your career, uh, creating your career, continuing to do well in your career, finding new jobs. I haven't read a book this good on this topic in a long time. I can't think of a book I like better on this topic than this one that comes out next week, The New Rules of Work. And uh, I'm excited to have uh, the founders of the website, themuse.com. And if you haven't been to themuse.com, that's also a cool place to go to talk about careers. And we're going to have Catherine and Alex uh, down to the basement on Wednesday talking about the new rules of work. And then on Friday, we have another fun roundtable. And I'll leave our guest uh, a surprise. But in the middle of the show, in the FreshBooks FinTech segment, the founder of a company called Respect. And this is cool. They're just starting to roll out this company. It's only available in a couple markets now, but if you've got loved ones and you've ever tried to hook them up with in-home care, very, very difficult. And you're also afraid of who you're going to get. Well, this company is trying to pick the lock on that. And I think they've done a pretty good job, which is why I want to shine a spotlight on them. And we don't get to talk about that very much. Almost like when we talked about parking recently, right? I mean, uh, we're using tech in so many different cool ways. So the founder of Respect coming on on Friday, and that will end up our eight-week run. And for those of you new to the show, we go eight weeks on, and then one week, uh, we take a one-week break, clean out the basement, and get ready to go for another eight weeks. And we already have some phenomenal stuff lined up. Uh, Week one, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you about that this week. I'll tell you about that next Friday. All right, guys, have a fantastic weekend. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for telling friends about us. 
Thank you for your reviews that you've left us on iTunes or wherever you listen. I can't believe the amount of support that you give us, and we really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that you're listening to the show. Have a fantastic weekend. Go Stacks of Benjamins. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Rich Jones for coming down to the basement. You'll find his podcast, Paychecks and Balances, wherever you listen to podcasts. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com. Greg McFarlane appears courtesy of Control Your Cash. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Tune in Monday when we'll bring a whole host of hilarity and maybe a financial tip or two. You want, you want details? Man, you people are needy. Just tune in and find out. It's going to be awesome. Wait, where are you going? I was going to make espresso. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.